Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rhodes? Well, we're going, we don't need Rhodes. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. No, I am your father. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to another episode of After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. I'm Phil Edwards. And this isn't really just another episode of After the Ending, is it, Phil? No, no, it's a big, big episode. It's our 25th one. That's right. We're a quarter of a century old now or something, you know, like that, I guess. Just, the time just flew by. <laughs> it really did. You know, 25 years of doing this show. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think it would go that quickly. I know, it's crazy. But we'll, <laughs> we'll say it's this is our 25th full episode because we have got four bonus episodes as well. That's right. But we're counting the, you know, the numbered yeah. main episodes. So this is our, our 25th episode, which we think is kind of a milestone. You know, in the podcasting world, it's definitely – we, we, we feel yeah. pretty proud of ourselves, if I may well, say I, so myself. I like to think of it as we're coming of age, finally. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. 25 episodes, and we've gone from Poltergeist to Castaway by way of Field of Dreams and The Natural. And here we are, and we're going to be doing some impossible endings. That's right. That's right. So kind of wrapping thing. Our 25th episode, we thought, let's do something a little bit different. And so here we are with two films we're going to give after the endings to that couldn't possibly have after the endings. But before we do that, Phil, since we may have some new listeners listening in, why don't we tell people a little bit about what our endings entail and how the format of the show works? That's great. Yes. What we do is we take two films each week and me and Mike write what happens after the ending? Uh, we have the day after. Uh, we have the, then we go into the immediate aftermath, which can be a few days to a few weeks. And then we have the long term, which can be weeks, months, years, centuries, or whatever. Right. I mean, honestly, it's pretty fluid. Sometimes our day after takes six months. Sometimes the long term is, you know, two days after the events of the film. But it just sort of breaks things up. And in, in general, we try to keep to that to that format when we can. But Whatever's good for the story. That's right. Exactly. We're, we play pretty fast and loose with our rules. Yeah. Uh, any other only other rules we really have are we don't do films that have sequels, although we've bent that rule a little bit here and there. Yeah, the and, bad uh, sequels, we can't ignore them. Right. Exactly. And we don't uh, we don't do films based on true stories for I think obvious reasons. So, mm. yes, but that's uh, that's it. We also have a mighty morphing mini feature every single episode. You never know what you're going to get until you yeah. get it. That's right. We often don't know what we're going to get until we get it. So it's a that's a lot of fun. Yes, case in point for this episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This was this is definitely a little bit of a seat of the pants episode for us. You know, we we plan so far in <laughs> advance for our 25th episode that we basically are making some things up as we go, but. You wouldn't want it any other way. It's the only way to fly. That's right. No, no. It's how we roll. And then we wrap <laughs> things up usually with our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, wherein we take a random year from the past 100 years of Hollywood, and Phil and I both share our top 10 films from that year. So that's what's in store for you tonight. Uh, as you said, Phil, we're doing two films we couldn't possibly do endings for tonight. Which films are those? We'll be going on a road trip with Thelma and Louise, but first we'll be looking at uh, Lars von Trier's Melancholia from the year 2011. Now, we picked this movie not because we imagine a lot of people have seen it, but because it really is one of the most, probably the most impossible movie to do an after the ending for. So, Phil, why don't you tell people why it's so impossible? Actually, wait, before you summarize the movie, can I take a quick stab at summarizing it? Yeah, go on. Kirsten Dunst cries a lot, then the earth explodes. How's oh that? My, oh, my God, are you reading my, my synopsis <laughs> on it? Did I, did I summarize it nicely? Yeah. Yeah, well, the film does open with the world being destroyed by a rogue planet. Right, right. I mean, that's that's how the film starts. Yeah, yeah. it starts and ends that way. So, 
And I know usually we say spoiler alert, but I, I don't know. How do you feel about this? Are you a fan of this movie, Phil? Uh, not really. No, I'm not uh, either. I'm still I'm still up in the air about Lars von Trier. Yeah, I, he's. I'm definitely not what I would consider a fan. I just you know so so it's not so much a spoiler because I don't think either one of us would recommend that people go out and watch this film. Yeah. But I do think that if you listen to our summary. Uh, you'll hopefully will enjoy it, what we've come up with for our endings, and I, I I enjoyed the challenge. I'm looking forward to seeing what what Phil's come up with. So talking about Lars von Trier films, he can everyone I've seen, I usually end up cringing at various points. Yeah. Uh, oh well, if you've seen them, you know exactly what we mean. Right. If you haven't seen them, I'll leave it up to you whether you try them or not. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's he's definitely a polarizing director. Uh, don't feel like you need to rush out and see Melancholia, but hopefully you'll enjoy our endings. Anyway, so yeah. Phil, go ahead and and uh, and share your uh, your summary. So we'll see how how close we were on them. Yeah, yeah okay, okay. Well, this is uh, we have Justine and Michael, who are played by Kirsten Dunstan, Alexander Skarsgård. Because I'll say one thing for him: he usually does get really good uh, actors involved in his projects. I mean, definitely yeah. Kirsten Dunst did give an excellent performance. That yeah. that's for sure. Because it's a harrowing role what she's doing. She's just got to be down all the time. Must be hard to do. Yeah, I'm sure. They arrive late to their own wedding reception. Justin sees a bright red star in the sky. Uh, and it's pointed out that it's uh, Antares. Justin's sister Claire, played by uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg, urges her to hide her melancholy from her new husband. Turns out Kirsten Dunn's character has got, uh, she's always a bit down. Justin's boss has been pushing her for a tagline and he keeps chasing her around the wedding uh, for this new campaign. Her boss's nephew Tim, played by Brady Corbett, is tasked with getting the tagline and he pursues Justine as the day progresses and they end up having sex on the golf course. That's how the film progressed, yeah. On her wedding night. Yeah, on her wedding night, yeah. Who says romance is dead? <laughs> Tim is fired for his failure. Justine resigns due to her involvement. And the star Antares is no longer in the sky. That's just part one. Right. So in part two, we now follow Claire a bit more closely. This part deals with Justine's relationship with her sister. Claire's husband, John, played by Kiefer Sutherland, explains that Antares disappeared as a newly discovered planet called Melancholia, a rogue gas giant, was blocking the star from view. It is thought that it will pass close to Earth. Ooh. <laughs> well, we, we kind of know what's going to happen because I spoiled it already. Well, somebody, you know, like the guy from Memento might be listening. Well, right, right. So, ooh, what's going to happen? Right. <laughs> However, after the flyby, Melancholia is circling back and will collide with Earth. John can't take this and poisons himself. Claire and Justine are together and Justine's nephew is scared. Justin reassures him by saying that they can be safe in a magic cave. The three sit in a wood teepee as the world comes to an end. That's just yep. a feel-good hit of the show. <laughs> yeah, it really is. You know, yeah. listen, as soon as you know, you had me hooked as soon as you said that they could be safe in a magic cave. I mean, yeah, yeah. If that doesn't, if that doesn't grip you, just for that, you know, that split second, I was going, oh, maybe. No, 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 that's a big planet. Really, the only thing I can say for the movie is that the the imagery of the planets colliding and the people as it's happening, it's not gory or gross. It's very emotional and it's very beautiful beautiful as well. Yeah. 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 Um, But honestly, other than that, it's just not a not a great movie. I mean, really, don't don't worry about the physics of the planets or anything, because Lars von Trier did say they didn't take that into account or anything at all, because it wasn't about that. It's about the emotion and the melancholy and the fact the planets called melancholia was a big a big clue for that. It was also a terrible name for a yeah. for a planet. Like, you know, if they discovered a new planet nowadays, it would be like MX324-12. It wouldn't be Melancholia. No, no. But, but they, that, that was it. All right. The well. So what have you got for your day after of the world <laughs> okay. being destroyed right. in a beautiful way? All right, you ready for this? Go. Here we go. Clarence the Angel looks at the space where Earth used to be <gasps> and says, well, I didn't see that coming. Oh, lovely. Thank you. 
George Bailey, who earned his own wings in 1997, says, But Clarence, with no earth, how will all these new angels earn their wings? Clarence realizes that George is right, and he now has billions of angels descending on heaven. Without anyone on earth to help, they can't earn their wings. So Clarence and George handpick a team of new would-be angels to serve as a pilot program of sorts, with the plan being to send them out across the universe to try and help life forms of all kinds and see if they can earn their wings that way. If it's successful, they'll then send all the angels out into the cosmos. Is this like a holy Green Lantern Corps? Um, yeah, I mean, the, uh, yeah, sort of. I mean, that's not far from the truth. It's not yeah. far from it. It's a little, I go in a little slightly different direction, but yeah, yeah. you're not, you're not wrong. Oh, nice. Again, it's a wonderful life. And I never in a million years would have thought of that. You know, I, it, it honestly, I, this one took me a really long time to come up with any ideas at all. And then once Clarence the angel popped into my head, cause I kind of had this image of like a talking star looking down at the earth, like kind of, you know, yeah. and once Clarence yeah. popped into my head, I couldn't let go of it. So. Well, I've got the talking star going, what the hell happened, man? That wasn't <laughs> Somebody's messed up. Yeah, that was not in the plan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can we get a rewind? Right. So, all right. Well, let's see where you take it then, Phil. I'm pretty sure we're going to have different endings on this one. So uh, let's see what yeah, you got. What's yeah, your day it's after? a bit different so far. But, uh, oh, yeah, I must also say to any new listeners, uh, neither Mike or myself know which, what the other one has written. Right. It's, so it's, it's a surprise to us as it is to exactly. you. Exactly. So, there you go. Okay, so I've got Justine opens her eyes. Confused, she appears to be in a tank full of pink goo. She feels very weak. Suddenly, the goo drains away and she sits up. All around her are towering columns covered in pods. The sky is dark, covered in clouds. And she sees that some of the pods have also opened and other people are looking out at them. Totally disorientated, she realises she has various tubes going into her body. But there's a clicking and whirring and the tubes disengage. She then hears a voice broadcast over loudspeakers. If you can hear me, you are safe. Wait behind and we will get you down as soon as we can. And that's, uh, that's the ending for my day after. I love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it. I listened to Thank that with, with a big smile on my face because I'm such a big <laughs> fan of The Matrix. So yeah, as soon as yeah. you said she wakes up in a tank full of pink goo, I was like, yes. yes. See, I didn't think of that, but I love it. Yeah. Well, I just thought if everybody dies. Yeah. Right. They'd all wake up, day. right? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Okay. So what have you got for your immediate aftermath? All right. So Clarence and George pick their group of angel test pilots. They try to find a wide variety of people of different skills, temperaments, and emotional states. This first test group includes Harry Potter. Elizabeth Salander, also known as the girl with the dragon tattoo, <laughs> Rambo, Batman, Atticus Finch, Vanilla Ice, Colonel Sanders, Laura Croft, Peter Venkman, and, of course, Robert Redford. <laughs> so, so Clarence and George explain that if they help other life forms in their daily lives, they can earn their wings. And the group of ethereal good guys sets out into space to try and do good across the universe. Oh, very nice, sir. Thank you. A nice, a nice team. Like yeah, it. it's interesting. It's it's diverse, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always got to be diverse. Right, right, exactly. All right, well, let's hear what happens in the in the real world. Uh, yeah, welcome to the real world. Still terribly weak. Justine and many of the others have been picked up and moved. They're in some underground kind of city. They're still not sure what's going on. It's, it's been explained to them, but it's something this big. Some, You know, you've just had the world about, well, you've seen the world ending, and then you wake up somewhere totally alien to you. It's going to be a, a while before you get sorted out. She lies on a bed surrounded by hundreds more. She's being fed and looked after, so she builds her strength up. So far, out of all the people she's seen, she hasn't seen anyone she recognises. From what she has gathered, there's always mention of a matrix, and it turns out that melancholia was some kind of computer virus created to destroy the matrix and the machines. Uh, but no one knows where the melancholia virus came from. Strangely enough, she realises that she no longer feels sad, even though she's lost everything. That's my immediate aftermath. Oh, I like that. So so even though she's lost everything, this could be, well, I mean, hopefully it would be because she's going to be in the real world now, but she'll mm, be yeah. she'll be renewed, perhaps. Yes. I like yes. it. 
Thank you. I'm okay. What's uh, what happens to your team? of angels cruising through the universe. All right, well, the group spreads out and begins helping other life forms across the galaxy. Working from the wings, no pun intended, the angels <laughs> begin to earn their wings one by one. Harry Potter helps a couple of Gelflings on a planet with a dark crystal. Elizabeth Salander guides Mr. Spock through a difficult time when his planet is destroyed. Rambo helps Jake Sully save the Navi people on the planet Pandora. Batman helps John Murdoch understand the mysteries of the dark city he lives in. Oh, nice. Thank oh, you. I'd love to see that. Thank you. Atticus Finch guides Obi-Wan Kenobi to become a teacher and not a warrior. Vanilla Ice teaches Will Robinson not to be in danger all the time while he's lost in space. <laughs> I didn't know what else to do with Vanilla Ice. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I that's just that. like Vanilla Ice. What can I say? Just imagine Vanilla Ice turn up right. in the 50s, 60s, lost in space. Right? It's like danger, danger, Will Robinson. Yeah. He's like, all right, stop. Collaborate <laughs> and listen. You know, I think he could be good for the, for the crew. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. That's all right. Um, Colonel Sanders gives money-making advice to Quark the Ferengi. Laura Croft helps Paul Atreides navigate the Spice Wars on the dunes of Arrakis. Oh, wow. Peter Venkman guides Captain Malcolm Reynolds of the Firefly-class ship Serenity through many dangerous situations, and Robert Redford steers Arthur Dent through his journey as a hitchhiker on his way through the galaxy. Wow. I want to see all of those. <laughs> Me too, right? Just, just imagine Bill Murray and Firefly. That would have been incredible. I thought that seemed like a pretty good team-up. Yeah. The program wow. is a success as all of the angels earn their wings, and Clarence and George send the billions of souls from the late lamented Earth into the universe to share their love and guidance with everyone. And that's the end of the end, the after the end. You know what I mean. That's, that's good. That was that was epic. Thank you. I had, I had fun with it. Some of those things. Oh, that's, Rambo in uh, Avatar, that would have made it so much better. <laughs> I like Avatar, but, yeah. you know, I kind of, I was trying to team people up with what I thought their their skill sets yeah, would yeah. sort of help with, you know. No, very nice. Great. Thank you. All right. So let's hear what you've got then. I want to see what happens in this uh, in this Matrixified world of Melancholia. Matrixicalia? Okay. Yeah, Melan. Matrixicalia? Would that be like the, Mat the mashup movie? Melancholics. <laughs> that just no. sounds like a like one of yeah. those side effects of melancholics may include diarrhea, suicide, painful potato burns. I don't even know what that is. Just seems like the type of thing you see in those drug commercials. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Warning may cause the exact symptoms you're trying to get rid of. <laughs> exactly. It's always it's always the way. It's like, hey, do you have diarrhea? Take this pill. It might make you want to kill yourself or have cancer, but you won't have diarrhea anymore. And you're kind of like, ah. I don't know that the trade-off there is really worth yeah. it. Yeah, I'll just, uh, I'll just, I'll just stick with the toys. diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> hey, for our 25th episode, we are talking about diarrhea. Well, I think it's the first time, though, so. <laughs> well, right, it is valuable. overdue, right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> not with diarrhea, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. On that okay. note, Phil, why don't yeah. you deliver your long-term? Okay. If we do I mean, have any new listeners, I'm sure they're really thrilled with what's been going on so far. Yeah, they'll be flushing this one down the chain. <laughs> All right. Okay. So uh, millions of humans did not survive the melancholia virus. The managers couldn't cope or they were killed in the initial crash. However, Justine has been thriving in the real world. She finds she has a purpose helping others to adjust. Her strength is getting back, her hair's grown, and she managed to find Claire. Luckily, Claire has also managed to readjust to what's going on, and they work well together as a team. Eventually, the two approach to join a group. The task is to go to the, the last known sighting of the one. That's the end. Oh, I like it. I like it. Thank you. Very nice. Keeping, I like keeping the whole Matrix mythology alive. Yes. He's out there somewhere. And I'm impressed that nobody turned out to be a serial killer. Oh, I messed up it out. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, Melancholy was a big serial killer. Killed everybody. That's right. That's true. Yeah. The, the, really, the, the, the worst serial killer of all time. 
All right, great. Well, there you go. So that is Melancholia. I, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that I think our endings are more entertaining than the actual movie itself was. But yes, uh, you know, if you uh, if you have seen it, hopefully you enjoyed. If you haven't seen it, it, doesn't really make much difference because our endings didn't have a whole lot to do with the movie anyway. So, but you know, it's an ending, right? And it, we went after it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Well, maybe maybe these facts could be a bit more interesting. Than the yes, film do you, I was going to say, do you have any melancholic trivia for us? Yeah, not too much, but a little bit. Uh, Lars von Trier admitted to having written the script under the influence of drugs and alcohol shocking mm. <laughs> really yeah. i mean honestly couldn't even you know see that coming in a million years i know and it was it was also the second part of his trilogy of depression uh, oh, just so three movies of depression that's all he's yes yeah, so it's uh, it's bookmarked by antichrist and nymphomaniac right yeah and antichrist god that was a film <laughs> i wish i'd never seen right uh, there's also no dialogue in melancholia for the first nine minutes and 25 seconds right which is actually the best part of the movie <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and also, let's see, some other casting. Uh, Olga Kurylenko was considered to play the lead role. Huh, interesting. That's melancholy. All righty. Well, let's move on to cheerier topics then, and let's discuss <laughs> Thelma and Louise. Yeah, another happy ending, isn't it? Well, that's why we picked it, though, right? Yeah, I know, I know. All right, well, here we go then. Thelma and Louise, 1991, directed by Ridley Scott, maybe the last Ridley Scott film I enjoyed. I'd totally forgotten it was a Ridley Scott film. Yeah. It's one, of, it's one of like three films of his that I actually like. I don't I don't particularly like this one. Well, there you go. See, mm. that's uh, that's it does seem to be more and more. I'm finding. Yeah, it was, we mentioned it many times, but Ridley Scott films. Everyone thinks they like Ridley Scott until yeah. you go through his movies and you realize yeah. most of them aren't very good. Mm. I know. I just I just lost every one of those new listeners we might have. But Thelma and Louise, 1991, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Susan Sarandon, Gina Davis, Brad Pitt and Harvey Keitel. The movie starts with Thelma, played by Gina Davis, and Louise, played by Susan Sarandon, going off on a two-day vacation to get a break from their dreary lives. They're best friends, but Thelma is married to an overbearing D-bag, I'll say. I think I can say that and still be PG-13. Yeah, yeah. Uh, while Louise works as a waitress and is dating a musician who's gone more than he's home. On their trip, they stop at a roadhouse bar, and Thelma starts drinking and dancing with a guy. When she needs some air, he takes her outside and begins to assault her. Louise interrupts and shoots the guy with a gun that Thelma had bought for her. Afraid that the police won't believe them about what happened, they go on the run. Louise wants to go to Mexico, but refuses to go through Texas due to an unspoken trauma in her past. As they head west, they meet J.D., played by a young Brad Pitt, and Louise asks her boyfriend Jimmy, played by Michael Madsen, to transfer her life savings to her. But instead, he shows up with the money. Jimmy asks Louise to marry him, but she says no. Thelma sleeps with J.D., but wakes up to find that he's stolen all of their money, which includes Louise's life savings. Thelma then robs a convenience store, and they go on the run again. Police investigator Slocum, played by Harvey Keitel, discovers that Louise had been raped in Texas years earlier, and in phone conversations, he tries to help her. But things escalate. They end up cornered by the police just 100 yards from the edge of the Grand Canyon. And spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen this movie, I'm going to spoil the ending for you. But rather than face life in jail, they decide to, and I quote, keep going. They kiss and then drive off the cliff off the edge of the Grand Canyon. And the movie ends with them driving off the edge of the Grand Canyon, sailing into space, and, the, and it freeze frames on the car in midair. So technically, we don't know whether they live or die. But when you drive your car into, off the Grand Canyon, you can pretty much guess what happens. Or maybe you can't, depending on how our endings go. Mm. All right, so Phil, uh, as as I've said, we leave things with Thelma and Louise frozen in midair. So let's see where you take things. What is your day after? 
Okay, day after. So Hal, Hal Harvey Keitel's character, he stays at the crash site. He's full of conflicting emotion, sadness, frustration, anger. He wishes he could have spoken to Thelma and Louise to try and talk them round, and he's disgusted that it ended the way it did. The wreckage and the bodies are collected. JD hears the crash on the news, but doesn't associate it with his time with Thelma. He's just put that out of his mind totally. It was just another one-night stand as far as he's concerned. Uh, Jimmy and Daryl are both upset to hear the news, but Daryl blames Thelma for everything that happened, and he starts to use that to push any sorrow he may feel. Starts to use that to start pushing it down. And that's my day after. All right. Very uh, very emotional kind of after the ending. Mm. Well, yes. well I, uh, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to take things in a completely opposite direction. No, please do. Okay. Please do. <laughs> All right. So here, here we go then. So the car goes off the cliff, right? Yeah. Cut, yells Ridley Scott. Then, looking at the hovering car, frozen in midair, he yells to the crew, then levitates the car back to the safety of the ground. That's a wrap, he yells. Then he retires to his trailer and peels off the makeup that he's worn for the past 40 years, the makeup that disguises him as human. For some reason, the movie crews could always accept his alien powers, the ones that allowed him to create amazing special effects and visual wizardry with ease, but they could never accept his alien visage. The alien, formerly known as Cot Ridless, sighs, rubs his antenna, and dials up his computer. He navigates to the NASA website, an early prototypical website in the initial days of the internet back in 1991, and searches for any sign that his people are returning. But it's been 40 years, and there's been no sign that they were ever coming back. But then, something on the screen catches his eye. And that's where we'll leave things for now. Oh, whoa. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. No, got it. Sort of took, no, I don't know, like apparently it. I had a, a bit of a sci-fi bent going today. Yeah. So, so what's his name? Cop? Okay, so 40 years ago. Yeah. Mm. So that's my day after. How about your immediate aftermath? Okay. Over the intervening uh, days and weeks, Hal has traced back Thelma and Louise's journey and puts together a rough timeline of where they went and who they met and what happened to them. He uh, begins writing up a catalogue of all the mistakes done by the various law enforcement agencies and how Thelma and Louise were afraid that they wouldn't be believed with some of the events. His reports get passed up the chain of command and changes are slowly put in place with how sexual assault crimes and similar are dealt with by the police. And that's my immediate aftermath. All right. I like I like where you're going with this, Phil. I feel like yeah. there's important stuff happening. Yes. I'm quite serious with this one. I know. I know. Mm. But that's what's – you know what? If I may toot our own horns, that's what I like about this format of our show so much is we can go any direction we want. And, you know, often you and I have gone in very different directions. Sometimes yeah. we go in the same directions. But, you know – it's it's kind of a nice vehicle. Sometimes we take things in a funny direction. Sometimes it's very serious, you know. So I, I like that. Yeah, and I think I like it as well. I never know what it's going to be like when I start writing it. That's right. That's right. It's mm. always something different. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So that was my immediate aftermath. Alrighty. Well, here we go. Here is mine then. So, Cot Ridless sits up and looks at the screen, blinking. There's an anomaly in the view of space that's being broadcast from the Hubble telescope. He rushes out of his trailer, hops in the car from the scene he just finished a few minutes earlier, and, narrowly missing Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, drives off into the Hollywood Hills. He arrives at his secret hideout. He hasn't been there in years, since he first crash-landed on Earth in New Mexico in 1947 <laughs> and set up his base of operations in Hollywood. Arriving at a secret base, he fires up his communications array and sends a signal out to his people, hoping to finally be re reunited with his race. And that's the immediate aftermath. Oh, very good. All right, Phil. Let's see where you take this then. I want to hear the... Uh, okay, my long term. I want to hear the goods. Hal's report changed the procedures for how the police deal with those type of crimes, how the victims of sexual assaults are treated. It's uh, totally changed the way things are done, and people aren't as scared as they were to go and, you know, say these things, bad things have happened. The crime levels of that kind of crimes start dropping way down. Hal is a hero in, uh, in many circles. 
he goes on certain TV shows, he's interviewed and explains it, and he's always, he always references what happened to Thelma and Louise as the, the catalyst for, for bringing these changes in. He saw something was wrong, and he wanted to make sure it could never, ever happen again. Uh, Daryl's moved on. It didn't take him long to put Thelma to the back of his mind. Jimmy often thinks about Louise. He was heartbroken and still doesn't fully understand what happened and why they did what they did. He wrote a few songs about her and he still chokes up when he plays them. The site of the Grand Canyon where Thelma and Louise ended their journey has become almost a shrine to many people. J.D. has moved onwards and upwards in the world of crime. He's changed his name many times, but since meeting Danny Ocean, he now goes by the name of Rusty. <laughs> I like That's it. That's my end. That's great. Oh, Thank see, you. So here you have this awesome, great, moving ending that I really like. Yeah. And then you also manage to throw in a little connection to another movie, which is awesome. Yeah, well, that's the after-the-credits scene when he gets picked up by Danny <laughs> Right, Asher. right, right. Oh, I love it. That's great. Phil, that was really nice, though. I like that. I, you know, it would, thank, thank you very much. It would be nice to think that you know something like that would happen from some, from a tragedy that would cause people to change you know, these these laws and the way things are handled in an area that clearly isn't handled all that well in today's society. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I know. don't... Sadly, in this day, this world we're living in, I'm not sure whether it would... But right. I like to th- I like to think there'd be at least people trying all the time. Well, listen, and that's all we can do. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that you know you can say what you want about our endings, and obviously sometimes we go dark with them, and sometimes there are serial killers involved. But I think both you and I are optimists at heart. So yes, yeah, I like to think so. Yeah, it would be nice to to think that if something you know if if these types of events happen in the real world, maybe something good could come out of it. Yeah, very true. Okay, then. Well, what's that was my long term. What's yours? All right. Well, I, I, I'm going to just you know veer back into the ridiculous here. So, <laughs> um, so. Scott waits anxiously for hours until finally a signal. It's his people. Cot Ridless is overjoyed. He learns that it will take his people three days to arrive on Earth. That's good mileage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cot has preparations to make. He drives into Hollywood and looks for the perfect specimen. He finally comes across a homeless man who he sees sharing a large portion of the little food he has with another homeless person. Touched by his generosity, Cot approaches him when he's alone. He grabs his head and transfers the entirety of his Earth memories into the homeless man's brain. It won't be a perfect carbon copy, but it will be pretty close to the, to the real thing. Briefly, Cott wonders if his films will suffer in the future once this replicant Ridley Scott takes over his career. <laughs> no editorializing there at all. <laughs> when the homeless man awakens from the mind transfer, Cott explains everything to him, takes him to his home, cleans him up, and uses his alien powers to reshape his face to resemble himself. The man is eternally grateful, and Cott leaves him to his new life. Then he drives back into the Hollywood Hills to await the reunion with his people. And that's the end. Very good. Thank you. So, you know, so if you were to say that Ridley Scott's output has declined since 1991, it could be because he's been replaced by a homeless man instead of a talented movie-making alien. Maybe maybe you've got too close to the truth there. (laughs) Right. So if next week, uh, if Phil has a new co-host on the show, then we'll know that, you know, Big Scott... Has uh, has taken me down. Yeah, yeah I'm uh, Mike. Something happened to Mike, so it's right. uh, it's me and Agent Carter here. We don't know <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you don't go up against Scott Free Productions. <laughs> bad bad <laughs> things happen to people who want to go up against yeah. them. No, I quite liked though, the fact you just went. You just did a total left turn from the film, but no, very good. I I enjoyed that. Thank you, thank you. Likewise, and it explains it. And it, even if his films aren't as good, at least you know. He's no longer homeless. That's right. I mean, listen, I feel like the, you know, the alien did a nice thing. He found a worthy person and gave him a life that, you know, is, is a good one. So even if yeah, it doesn't yeah. result in good films. Well, you know, we, had, we had, did have a few good ones from him. Yeah. 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 A, couple, a couple. A couple. I'll admit there's a few. All right. So tell me, uh, tell us, Phil, what, what kind of trivia do you have for Thelma and Louise? Trivia and Louise, if you will. Trivia and Louise, yeah. Yes. Well, uh, this first fact, 
I only found this one out after I'd written my ending, so it's not the reason why there was the whole uh, Ocean's Eleven. But uh, George Clooney, who at the time was a struggling actor, he auditioned for the role of J.D. five times, and it went to Brad Pitt. That's a bummer. I mean, it's not a bummer because yeah, Brad Pitt was great, but it's a bummer for George Clooney. Yeah, because he was he was sort of in the wilderness for a while, wasn't he? I remember him on Roseanne. Right, yep. And then nothing, and then suddenly he was on ER. And he was on yeah. Facts of Life before that even. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the ER was definitely his big break for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's see. Scott loved Hans Zimmer's score so much he created a main title sequence to play it over rather than have to wait until the very end of the film. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, Goldie Horn and Meryl Streep wanted to make the film, but they went on to do Death Becomes Her. Interesting. Yeah. More than 40 people were considered to direct it. Uh, other actors who were considered for the role of JD were Johnny Depp, Tom Cruise, Sean Penn, Kevin Bacon, Alec Baldwin, and Scott Bio. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Jodie Foster were the original choices to play Thelma and Louise. Uh, but other characters, no, sorry, other actresses considered for the role of Thelma were Rosanna Arquette, Phoebe Cates, Glenn Close, Farrah Fawcett, Carrie Fisher, Liza Minnelli, Jane Seymour, Sybil Shepherd, Sigourney Weaver, Deborah Winger, Tracy Ullman, Daryl Hannah, a whole load of people. So pretty much every working actress in Hollywood yes, in 1991. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Chris Christopherson was offered the part of Jimmy, but he turned it down and it eventually went to Michael Madsen. Very cool. That's that, but that's Thelma Louise. Alrighty, well, there you go. So those are our After the Endings for two almost impossible movies to do After the Endings for, although clearly we have proved that even these movies are not impossible, and that is uh, Melancholia and Thelma and Louise. Yeah, if you have any films with, with impossible endings that you think we won't be able to do an After the Ending for, send them our way and we'll give it a go at some point. Yeah, I would love to hear what people think are, are other impossible movies. Maybe for our 50th episode, we can revisit this topic and pick a couple new movies that are impossible to do endings for. So that'll be yes, fun. Yeah. Yes, yes. And we'll give you all the contact details near the end of the show. Exactly. All right, well, it's time to move into our Mighty Morphing mini feature for the week. Phil, why don't you tell people what we're going to be talking about? Well, this is one we came up with quite quickly, uh, and we got a title for it straight away. Oh, yeah, just like that. with no meandering whatsoever. Yeah, No. and this one is called Words into Pictures. So take a second and try and think what that one's about. That's right. We are going to be picking a couple of books each that we would love to see or that need to be made into films. Because it's happened many, many times, like with Lord of the Rings, it becomes big epics, then you do The Hobbit, it doesn't quite work. But there's lots of other books out there which should, which still deserve to become a movie. And we've got four between us, let us know if you agree or not with our choices. Sounds good. All right. Well, I'll kick things off then with my unconventional first pick, and it is a book that I bet many people have not heard of. And it is The Awakening by Kate Chopin, and it was written in 1899. And I'm not much for classic literature, I'll be the first to admit. I generally don't go for Jane Austen and, and all those kinds of things. Um, mm -hmm. But this is a book that I read in college, and it was in a class where I was reading all sorts of these books, and most of them I wasn't enjoying. And it's basically about a woman and her sexual awakening, if you will. She's married, and she's in a loveless marriage. Marriage, and she meets this man and she uh, falls in love with him. They have an affair, but ultimately it's doomed because society in those days, of course, would not allow for her to divorce or to have a relationship with this man. And I won't spoil the ending, but it's pretty typical kind of uh, literature for that time yeah. period. But there's something about the book that I really, really enjoyed. And it's one of the first books in that sort of genre that really struck a chord with me. You know, um, yeah, I know yeah. that Jane Austen is very popular. And I know there's a lot of authors from that time period, Dickens and all those people. And I generally have read many of their works. And I just, you know, it's just not my thing. I, I type of thing I read for enjoyment. Uh, but The Awakening was a really powerful novel. And it's, it's, it's very short. It's a quick read. Uh, but it's definitely something that 
I don't know. It just it just struck a chord with me, and I, I really enjoyed it. And so I think it'd be interesting to see it made into a movie. That, you know, they do all of these period yeah. dramas all the time, and, and a lot of times I see the trailers for them, and they have great actresses and great actors and great directors, but the stories look really boring. And so I thought maybe this one might be a little more interesting. It does have a really powerhouse ending. I would love to see how it translates into film. Okay, yeah, I've, n- I've never heard of it, but it sounds like it's yeah, it sounds like a classic that. Uh... Hollywood haven't yet gotten hold of. That's a nice, very nice pick. Thank you. And what do I you like have it. for your first pick? Well, it's uh, it's not one of the cla- well, it's classics in certain aspects. I think every book's a classic to someone. Uh, but mine is uh, the Stainless Steel Rat by Harry Harrison. Oh, very good. A nice piece of science fiction following James Bolivar Degree, who is a master thief in the future. He's a man thief, uh, charming. He can talk his way out of anything. He knows. Oh, he's just a genius, but he just loves a life of crime. And then he gets inducted into the special corps and then helps have to save the universe. He has many different adventures. There's lots of different books. They're very funny, bit corny in places, but it's uh, the central character of uh, James is just, he's wonderful. I'd, I'd love to see him on the big screen. And I'm amazed it's not happened to any point. Yeah, I have to admit that that is a book series I'm familiar with. I've obviously heard of it. I know it's very popular, yeah. but I have never actually read any of them. I could see somebody like Luc Besson maybe doing something with it because it, the, visual, the visuals would be Fifth Element kind of thing. But I just think it's it's the character, though. You want, it's, you'd want you be following the character. So that's uh, that's my first one. What's your second book? All right, well, so uh, for my second book, I went uh, pretty far away from my first book. And uh, as opposed to being a piece of classic literature, it is actually a graphic novel. Oh, good. And it is Pride of Baghdad by Brian K. Vaughan and Nico Hendrishan. A nice pick. Very nice pick. Thank you. Thank you. It's a graphic novel that was released as a graphic novel. It's not like a, a series of comic books that was then collected. It was just released as like a one-shot. And basically, it is the story of this group of lions. And basically, they escape from the zoo after there's devastation from the war there in 2003. And they sort of like make their way across the country. And what's really fascinating, uh, you know, the, in the book, the lions talk, or at least they communicate with each other. They don't talk in terms of like talking to people. It is a very kind of realistically grounded story but you do yeah. hear the lions communicating with each other I know it, it, it's it, it's one of those things I think when you explain it out loud as I'm listening to myself it, it doesn't sound all that impressive but I will say it's one of my favorite graphic novels of all time and I've actually given it to out as gifts on several occasions like even people who don't read comic books it's sort of like my go-to like when I need a good gift for somebody who I know likes to read I will get yeah. them a copy of that book because it's it is really amazing. It's really powerful, really emotional. It's just great, amazing story. The visuals are beautiful. Yeah, it's, a, it's totally great. It's a great, it's an amazing uh, graphic novel. Thank you. So I, I think it would be fascinating to see somebody make that into a movie. I don't know if it would need to be fully animated or just done like CGI animals. Mm. It's kind of what I think, like Jungle Book style. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the recent Jungle Book, you know, where it's, it's CGI lions interacting with the real world. But I think it could make for an amazing film if it's done right yeah, yeah. and handled by the right, you know, the right team. But uh, it's just a terrific book, and I, I just would love to see it be brought to life in in some way or another. That's a that's a that's a great pick, yeah. And I just uh, reading here it was based on a true story. That's right, it is. I forgot about that. Yeah, four lions did escape. Yeah. Yes, Four Lines did escape. Obviously, what happens and the dialogue, of course, is, is made up, but it, the, the genesis of it did come from a, a real yeah. event. So, Oh, lovely pick. I like that. Okay, very nice. Okay, my second one is uh, Legend by David Gemmell. Hmm. It's a fantasy novel. David Gemmell is a British fantasy writer, and this one came out in 1984 and introduces to the character of Druss, who is in a few of his other books. Druss is an old an old warrior. He was like like the ultimate it's sort of it's going along the lines of Conan the Barbarian a bit but he's it's it's different different enough anyway right uh, Druss is this uh, age warrior he's had many battles over the years and he's a legend but he's retired and he's living in this 
living in a cabin in the woods, basically, living his life and just come at peace. But then there's an invasion, and he's uh, he's called to go and help help organise the defence of this this huge fort called Drostelnok, and it's this big battle of this big siege, and you've got this grizzled old warrior who's coming out of retirement to help, and it's just, it's an incredible book. It's like uh, some of the battle scenes you see from Lord of the Rings, it's like that, but it's this, it's just a, this one big siege, and the castle, the castle or fort of Drostelnok's got like five different walls or more, and it's it's just great. Loads of characters in, it's uh, Drost and the other commanders trying to get these these soldiers into shape, and big fight, it's great characters, and it just be it could be a stunning film. Well, it sounds like it. I've never heard yeah. of that book actually. Yeah, no, I love it. It's, I love lots of his other books as well. And sadly, he passed away a few years ago. Hmm. But I once went to see him do a reading. Oh, that's cool. From one of his new books, and uh, he was he was a lovely chap. But it's, it was great just talking to him about the characters of this. And he's he's got this other one. It's a bit like uh, Pale Rider, but it's set after the, the fall. And you're following this guy called John Shannon, huh. who's called a Jerusalem man, who's who's wandering the wasteland trying to find the Holy City. And it's it's all people mutated by nuclear weapons and that one Ooh, that so, sounds right up my alley i love stuff yeah, like that, that that's a real good one but this one legend is just a real good story and i'd love to see dross on the big screen oh i got a couple new books to add to my list of reading apparently because these these sound quite interesting oh definitely i would st- start with legend that's a that's the one to start with all right cool all right well there you go so that is our picks for books that we think would make good movies or we'd like to see as movies and uh, maybe one of these days we'll see one of them yeah hopefully all right well time to move on then to 100 years of hollywood in 100 episodes phil what year are we doing today we are doing the year 2011, so not that far ago. No, some good, good some good movies, though. Yes, yes. All right, well, uh, I know it was recent, but why don't you take us back to that year anyway and remind people what was happening just uh, five years ago. Okay, yes. Okay, 2011, the prime, UK Prime Minister was David Cameron, and over in the US it was President Obama. Uh, it was the year that Prince William and Catherine Middleton married. Obama uh, announced that Osama bin Laden had been killed. Uh, Grimsvotten, Iceland's most active volcano, erupted and destroyed disrupted air travel in Europe. Meanwhile, over in Chile, the Puyu volcano did the same, disrupting air travel in South America. Yeah, I, rem- I remember that when it was like all yeah. the volcanoes were erupting. That's right. Yeah, and just couldn't, people were stuck in countries and things like that. Uh, the cattle plague known as Rinderpest was eradicated around the globe, so we got rid of a disease, so that was good to do. Uh, Neptune completed its first orbit since its discovery in 1846. Uh, the NASA space shuttle program ended and the Curiosity rover landed on Mars. And we also sadly saw the deaths of Pete Postlethwaite, Susanna York, Jane Russell, Michael Goff, Elizabeth Taylor, Randy Savage, Peter Falk, Bubba Smith, and Steve Jobs. Hmm. Well, mostly, mostly a good year, except for, of course, some of the deaths. But yes. still, all in all, I think it was a pretty yeah, good year. Yeah, not too bad. Not a bad year. All right, great. Well, Phil, I'll let you kick things off then. What's your number 10? Well, my number 10 is a Woody Allen film, Midnight in Paris, starring Owen Wilson, Rachel McAdams, Marion Cotillard, Michael Sheen. Uh, it's a lovely little film set in Paris, and Owen Wilson ends up sort of time-travelling to be with some of the classic writers, uh, like F. Scott Fitzgerald, Josephine Baker, Cole Porter, uh, Ernest Hemingway, and lots of other people in the past. And it's all to do with the relationships, and it's quite funny, and it's all good just seeing some of these, these larger-than-life, real-life people uh, on the big screen. Very good pick. Well, my number 10 is uh, is not that. It's something a little bit different. And I'm going to say, there was a lot of good movies this year. I had I had some challenges putting my list. Yeah, it was a good one. But yeah. anyway, my number 10 is The Muppets. Okay, good. Starring Amy Adams and Jason Segel, and of course, 
the Muppets. And, um, yes. you know, I'm not one of those people. I have a lot of friends who are like, you know, Muppets obsessives. Like they, they love the Muppets. Like that's their thing. You know, they're really into the Muppets. <laughs> and, and I'm not one of those people. I, I always liked them when I was a kid. I, I, you know, I watched the show. I loved the movies. And then as I grew up, I pretty much forgot about them like many people did. Yeah. But the the Muppets, the, the movie from 2011 is just brilliant. Jason Siegel co-wrote it and did, the, the, you know, the music for it and everything. And along with um, Brett from Flight of the Concords, uh, did, yeah. did a lot of the music production but you know it's one of those films that like it breaks the fourth wall it's very meta there's a lot of jokes about the muppets kind of being muppets and like the show and and how yeah. things work maniacal laughter yeah maniacal, maniacal laughter, laughter and all that stuff you know a lot of great sort of you know very meta humor jokes uh, but also it's at a level where the kids could really enjoy it my kids love that movie and i think the songs are brilliant yeah me party is is hysterical man or muppet got nominated for an oscar and it's a oh, fantastic yeah, song, it's a song yeah. um it's just you know the lyrics and the songs are hysterical but the music is good and just i don't know i just think it's a really funny movie the jokes all hit and it really was nice to sort of you know fall in love with the muppets over again for the first time since i was a kid i know i know what you mean because uh the, the muppets the original muppet movies from back in the day i mean they were very hit and Miss. Right, right. Yeah, they didn't work. Um, even even like the good ones didn't work as a good film all the way through. But uh, that Muppets, the first Muppets film of recent years, that was a uh, that was a great little movie. Very funny. Yeah, yeah. My number nine is uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, a film which, when it was first announced, I was thinking, "Oh God, they're going to destroy it." And it's, but I th I think this fits into one of the good remakes because it's it's quite different from the first Planet of the Apes movie. It was good going back to seeing how it all started. And I, th I think they did it well. It was I didn't mind actually watching James Franco in a film. Yeah, he was good in it. Yeah, he was good there. And of course, we've got Mr. Motion Capture Suit. I'm there, Andy Serkis. Yeah, he's brilliant. Doing a wonderful job as Caesar. And a bit when he, he finally speaks, you know, oh, it's just, yeah. I got chills seeing that for the first time. And the, the effects are just stunning for the uh, the apes. Absolutely. The last half hour of that movie, that that whole Golden Gate Bridge sequence is, yeah, is amazing yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, he, the bits and the characters, I always love how these the CGI artists, they, they bring so much character. I know, well, I know it's motion capture on the faces, the performers as well. But then having it just, well, you're just having these CG characters and just getting so much emotion from them. Yeah. Just it's a, it's just the melding of the actor and the artist is just is just amazing. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I actually do love that movie. It, it didn't. It yeah. just it just got eked out of my list. It was on my short list, but then it didn't quite make my top ten. But it, it is definitely it was a, a very strong contender. Oh well, this this year there was loads which could have been on this list. It just right exactly exactly. Okay then, what's your number nine? All right, well my number nine is Palm Wonderful presents the greatest movie ever sold. What? Yeah. <laughs> You ever heard of that one? It's Morgan Spurlock. It's a Morgan Spurlock film. Oh, okay. So What's it, what is it again? It's Say Palm it again. Wonderful Presents, The Greatest Movie Ever Sold. And so Morgan Spurlock is best known for Supersize Me, and I'm a big fan of his movies. And so mm -hmm. The Greatest Movie Ever Sold is a movie about how movies get made and paid for. It's about product placement and sponsorships. And so the the premise of the film, though, was the, the, the movie was going to be made entirely on sponsorship money, hence the reason it's called Palm Wonderful Presents because uh -huh. there was one sponsor title who would get their name above the name of the movie. This is ringing some bells now. Yes, and Palm Wonderful, which is pomegranate juice, they were the ones who who bit, and so they got to be the main sponsors of the film. But it's a, just a really brilliant film. Morgan Spurlock is an amazing filmmaker. He makes documentaries better than anybody else, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And um, they're funny and interesting and informative. And so this one is a really fascinating look behind the scenes of movie making, and it's all sponsored by these corporate sponsors. So you see him pitching his 
sponsorship ideas to the companies while he's making this movie while also exploring how movies are made with corporate money. Well, that's, that's so meta. I can't get my head around it. <laughs> I know it is. Uh, it really is very meta, which, of course, you know I love. Yeah. Uh, there's a great scene, though, because one of the sponsors is Mane and Tail, which is shampoo for horses and people. And it's one of the best. <laughs> what? It's one of the best. Yeah, there's a shampoo called Mane and Tail, and it's good for horses and for people. Good for horses. Is that the, ta- is that the selling point? Yes. For- yes. That's why you so have you, to watch you, this movie. It's you fantastic. Can with your horse it's fantastic. And-, and there is a scene with Mane and Tail shampoo. I won't say any more about it, but it's a really. It's Even if you don't like documentaries, I'm not the biggest documentary fan in the world, but it's a funny, funny movie. It's really interesting. It's so well done. And it's a great introduction to Morgan Spurlock if you haven't seen his other films. Well, okay. That's my number nine. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Okay. Uh, my number eight is Captain America, the first Avenger. Excellent choice. Yes. It was uh first time. Well, it wasn't the first time Captain America had been in a film, but it was the first decent time. Uh, this one was directed by Joe Johnston, did The Rocketeer. And, of course, we had introduced to Chris Evans as Captain Steve Rogers and Hayley Atwell as the wonderful Peggy Carter. And it's just, I think they just did a cracking job with it. The, I would have loved to see, they have the great montage of, you know, Captain America and the Howling Commandos going around and raiding Hydra bases. I would have loved to have seen just more footage of that than just taking on the different bases and things, but they had a story to tell. Right. And they told it very well. And I think that's one of the cases where it was an origin story that was necessary, you know? Yeah. Not yeah. everyone knows Captain America's origin. You know, he's not yeah. a character like Spider-Man or Batman or Superman where everyone has heard it a million times. So I think it was important to to lay that groundwork in that film. But I, oh, I do agree with yeah. you, of course. It would have been nice to see some more of that stuff. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm so glad that they did have so much of it set. Well, it was pretty much all of it was, you know, enjoying the... Second World War it was just great having it. You know, you're having a period period war movie. Yeah. But with superheroes. It also really set up the Winter Soldier so well to then play on the yeah. whole Captain America having been frozen for 70 years. They earned that. You know, all the, all the humor and stuff that came from that, it was deserved because you got to watch him in the first movie, you know, taking place all in the 40s. Really a nice, just a great one. Excellent choice. Okie doke. All right, well, my number eight is The Adjustment Bureau, starring Matt Damon and Emily Blunt. Nice pick. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those movies that kind of came out, you know, it made a little bit of money at the box office, wasn't a hit, wasn't a bomb, just sort of kind of came, made some money, went away. Yeah. I don't think it's a film that's really lived on in the public consciousness. Yeah, it sort of came and went, didn't it? Yeah. yeah, I really love it. It's this great sort of metaphysical film about these two people who are apparently not supposed to be together, but they keep meeting each other and sort of falling in love. And then these sort of agents of a higher power try to keep them apart. And it's just a really cool story that melds this great romance about these two people who are so drawn to each other. And then fate, you know, sort of intertwining with that and this sort of this adjustment bureau of these these sort of agents that work to reset the course of history. I think it's just a terrific film. I really love the romance. I think Matt Damon and Emily Blunt are terrific together. I love the twists and turns the story took. And uh, it's just it's just my kind of film. You know, something very different. It wasn't there's not a lot of other movies out there like it. And I find it very charming, very endearing and and a very romantic film. So that's my pick. I must must admit, I really enjoyed the film as well. It wasn't what I was quite expecting from a a Philip K. Dick adaptation. Right. but to me, and it's it's one of the better ones, mm-hmm. even though it's not quite as usual. They change the story quite a bit, but yeah. it was a, it was a great romance movie, but also with this sci-fi thriller kind of vibe running through it. Yeah, we you weren't quite sure what exactly was going on for a while. Exactly, no good pick. Thank you. Okay, my number seven is an animated movie. This one is Rango, directed by Gore Verbinski and starring Johnny Depp as the chameleon Rango, and it's uh, a great western, a great. Well, it's just it's such an odd film as well because it's it's playing with it's playing with the whole concept of westerns and film because it gets a bit meta at the end with the uh, 
Spirit of the West. Yep. Who's who's it's so it, it knows you sort of get the feeling it knows it's a film and people the characters know that they're in this thing but it's it's one of those ones where you're doing meta but you're doing it in such a good way which I obviously can't describe that well but <laughs> it's just I just think it was it was done, and it had some stunning character design some stunning visuals some great action scenes and I, I really enjoyed it. Well, you know, Phil, you and I usually fall on the same page, but I'm going to go ahead and say that in this case, I'm not a big fan of Rango. Ah, okay. Fair enough. I know some people aren't. Yeah, I, I, I like what they were trying to do with it. There are parts I like. I love the Spirit of the West bit, but yeah. I, I just couldn't get into it as a film. It didn't. It just didn't really work for me. I. It was a very odd experience watching that movie. Maybe if I revisit it, I'll find more appreciation for it, but I sort of was like watching it going, I want to like this movie, but I'm really not enjoying it. Oh, that's fair. It's, it is an odd movie. Yeah, it is. It is strange. Yeah. but it's not strange. Fair enough. No, strange. Yeah, strange. <laughs> strange. Okay. So, what's your number seven? Well, my number seven is, and I have to be. I have to admit, I'm a little surprised this didn't end up higher on my list. But I think it's because it was such a good year for movies. But it is the artist. Uh, starring uh, Jean Dujardin, and of course it is the silent movie that reminded people how great silent movies can be. It won the Oscar mm-hmm. for Best Picture, and I absolutely loved it. I saw it in theaters. I, I saw it early in the run. I had heard some good buzz about it. I went and saw it in the movie theaters. It was an amazing experience to watch it in theaters, to see a silent film on the big screen for, you know, really the first time in my adult life. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and I just think it's such a funny and charming movie, and it's so it, it tells such a true story of Hollywood in, in the time when it was changing from silent silent films to sound films and I think it's magical I think Jean Dujardin uh, deserved the Oscar for best actor I think his performance is amazing and uh, it's a film that I love and like I said I'm surprised it's only at number seven but it, it is a movie I really really enjoy oh great well it's it's one I missed it when it came on the cinema and then it was all like the, the buzz about it and everything and I only eventually got to see it a while, quite a while afterwards and I enjoyed it I think I would have preferred to see it in the cinema to be honest I think it would have been a better experience yeah I mean I can't argue with that I mean obviously yeah. I think it still plays well on home video but I, I do think there was yeah. definitely something magical about seeing it in, in the movies. And also, because it was early in the run, I had heard some good things about it, but it wasn't, you know, it didn't have the buzz yet, the deafening buzz. So yeah, I yeah. went into it not really knowing much about it, except that it was a silent film and the people had said it was good. You know, it, it wasn't at that point where you just started hearing so much and it won the awards and everything. So I, I really was a very magical experience for me. So I, I can very see good. that. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, very good though. Okay, uh, my number six is The Lincoln Lawyer, which is adapted from the novel of the same name by Michael Connolly and stars Matthew McConaughey. That's quite the mouthful. Yeah, uh, Brad Furman directed it and it's uh, it's a great adaptation and Matthew McConaughey is brilliant as the character of Mickey Haller who basically, uh, he's chauffeured around town in the back of a black Lincoln town car. He's a, he's a lawyer who takes on this case. Things go west. Dodgy people, people getting beaten up, people getting killed and Matthew McConaughey just works his magic through it and it's got a great supporting cast of Ryan Felipe, William H. Masty, Brian Cranston and Marissa Tomei uh, and I loved it. I didn't see it again when it first came out but I saw it a couple of years afterwards and really, really liked it. It was one of the Matthew McConaughey getting getting away from the romantic comedies. Yeah, it was sort of the kind of the start of the McConaughey's where yeah, he, you yeah. know, sort of reminded people what a great actor he could be. Yeah, most enjoyable film. Very good. Yeah, great pick. I, I like that movie a lot. It didn't make my list but I do, I do enjoy yeah, it quite yeah. a bit for sure. Oh, this year there's I can totally understand. <laughs> right, some, right, exactly. All right, well, my number six is a tie. Um, I, I I, broke my own rules. I sort of have a thing against ties, but I couldn't decide, and I really wanted to get both these films in, but I didn't want to exclude anything else. Okay, yeah. And they sort of yeah. fit in the same world, so they are Captain America, The First Avenger, and Thor. Oh, well, yeah, I should, I could I could have done that, to be honest. Yeah, but... <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I love both these movies. I mean, I think you pretty much covered everything about Captain America. It's it's terrific. Yeah. I know the first Thor, I think it's often overlooked. I think people, you know, say, oh, it's, it's good, it's 
not great. I really loved it. I, I thought Kenneth yeah. Branagh did a great job directing it. I think it, you know, it made Chris Hemsworth a star overnight. I mean, he was such oh, a discovery. Course, yeah. uh, he's so and perfect. Tom Hiddleston as well. Yeah, Tom Hiddleston's amazing. I mean, he he really as great as Chris Hemsworth is, and he really is great as Thor. Tom Hiddleston as Loki is a revelation. I mean, it, yeah. he's he's amazing, and uh, I just really enjoy the movie. I love the humor in it. I mean, there's so much, and, and I think it looks great, and so I really enjoy both of these, and so I, I feel like they're kind of spiritual brethren. Obviously, they're both Avengers movies, yeah. um, both of which came out that year and were big hits, but not monster-sized hits. You know, they didn't make like three, four hundred million like they would now. They, you know, they made, you know, I think each under came in a little under two hundred million, so, um, which is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, got, I've got a hair. Thor made 181 million, and Captain America made 176 million. Right. So they I mean they were almost dead equal and um mm. you know they sort of but they launched this Avengers universe that really, you know, became the powerhouse it is today. So I, I just love both the films and so I, I made them a tie. I can do that. My list, I can do it. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, of course you can. It's uh, and I really like the Thor films as well. They often get people say they're the like to the worst ones, but I no definitely I not. do enjoy them. Yeah, I do too. I enjoy them very much. Yeah. Oh, very good. Okay, my number five then is Super Eight, which we went after the ending of that one back way back in our second episode. Yeah, episode two, way way back. That's right. Have we mentioned that we've done twenty five of these episodes now? Do we? Do we remember to mention that? Yeah, twenty five, <laughs> twenty five. Yeah, so it's the one J.J. Abrams, uh, produced by Steven Spielberg, and it's basically Abrams making a Spielberg film with the look and the feel of it. It's got a great group of actors introduced us to El Fanning. Uh, it's got a good mystery of what's going on in this small town. Uh, and it's great to having the kids making a zombie movie as well. And that's going on. It's great. Lovely seeing that. And it turns into kids making a movie to something strange has landed or escaped. And if you've seen Stranger Things, that's also got a bit of the old Super 8 running through it. Yeah, definitely. And some great, great effects, actually, as well, with the creature. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a good film. I, I, I didn't make my list. I think I, I shared some of my grievances with it back in episode two. So yeah. if you haven't listened, yeah. Yeah, go check that out. But but a good film and a good pick, for sure. Thank you. All right, well, my number five is Limitless, starring Bradley Cooper and Abby Cornish and Robert De Niro, and uh, directed by Neil Berger, who is, I think, one of the more interesting directors working in Hollywood these days. His yeah. first film was The Illusion which I also love very much. And um, it is, you know, it's, it's. I know they made a TV show out of it now. I don't watch it. But, it, you know, it's about this guy who discovers this pill. He takes it, allows him to use all of his brain, and he goes and becomes super intelligent. And then he gets into trouble with the wrong people. And it's really terrific. And it's, I think, and I went to see it, and I thought it would be really good. And I, and I watched it, and I enjoyed it so much more than I thought I was going to. It was such an intelligently yeah. done film. Yeah. And it really went some interesting places. Bradley Cooper's fantastic. It's like such a perfect role for him and then the ending of the film kind of goes in the way you expect it to go but then also goes in a different direction than you expect it to go and i just i I love the ending so much it's so good it's almost like a twist ending but not quite yeah um and it's it's just fantastic i think it's a terrific movie it's a really great concept and it's just done so well and visually the way that Neil Berger represented all of this sort of influx of information and brain power. Yeah. It was really fantastic. Yeah, and like the time loss yes, and things yes, like that. Yes, yes, exactly. So, uh, yeah. so that's my number five. Love that movie. Well, I quite agree with you. And number four is Limitless for me. All right. <laughs> yeah. so Once again. Always, always matched up. Yeah, yeah. We, we like right around this, this you know, three through five spot. We definitely yeah. like to gel. Because I, I, I read about it and I thought it was going to be an interesting film. I wasn't expecting much. And I wasn't really a big fan of Bradley Cooper, but I came out seeing that film thinking it was incredible and really liking Bradley Cooper. Yeah, yeah, he's terrific in it. Uh, and as you say, just visually it's great. It's a good story, great acting. Cracking scenes as well a bit when he's uh, he's got no NZT. Yep. So he's, but there's a big pile of blood full of it. And what he does, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's intense, yeah. but, but it's, it's yeah. really, like you said, didn't expect that much from it. Like, thought it looked yeah. cool. Yeah. But, you know, thought maybe just be kind of your typical B thriller. And it's so much more in, interesting and, and intelligent than that. Oh, indeed. And as for the series, I watched I watched all the series. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's and I was just a basic procedural thing. Like That's kind of my things. problem with it. Yeah, I wish they hadn't done that. But the main the main guy, and it was really good. Right. And I did like the fact it was basically a sequel to the film. Though. Right, right. That's cool. Because you kept seeing what Edward Morrow, uh, Bradley Cooper's character, was doing now, and it all got a bit deeper and darker. Right. And those bits around the, the case of the week thing was really good. But also, even the case of the week, because I think they just decided to just go, what the hell? They had so many great choices of visual style and changing things around and mixing things up. It was refreshing to see some of it. They had one whole episode based around Ferris Bueller. Oh, that's cool. And they lifted entire scenes from oh, it. Oh, nice. And just good. But the people who were making it are obviously a big fan of films. Right, right. But no, the, the film itself, Limitless, is a brilliant film. Excellent. Well, very good pick. Obviously, we agree on that one, so... Nicely done. What's your number four? My number four is Cedar Rapids, starring Ed Helms. And it is a movie about an insurance salesman going to an insurance convention. Sounds fantastic, doesn't it? I've not I've seen the trailer for this one. I've not seen it. Oh, this you've got to see it, Phil. It's yeah. so good. It's so funny. And it's it's basically a it's a black comedy. It actually takes some dark turns. Basically, Ed Helms plays kind of that Ed Helms character, very buttoned up insurance salesman. He goes to this national convention and he sort of gets wrapped up in things that are a little above his pay grade and has to sort of like let loose and when he does things go a bit wrong and you know on the surface it sounds like it's the kind of comedy like like a vacation or that type of movie but it's not it's not a silly comedy it's definitely like a black comedy it's very funny but very sharp um, very, like I said, it has some dark turns in it. No, I do like a bit of a black comedy. I'll have to check that out then because I do, I do like Ed Helms. Yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. Okay, okay. Then well, my number three is an Indonesian movie directed by a Welsh man. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know what you're talking about. It's The Raid or The Raid Redemption, I think it's called over here. Yeah. But it's uh, directed by Gareth Evans and stars Iko Uwe. Apologies, I'm not pronouncing that right. But it's a great one where an Indonesian special tactics force are going into a big tower block, which is basically owned by a gang and you've got to fight the way up going through the different levels and it's got some incredible fight scenes they'll make you cringe they're that good and the you got the the stunt people in the fights the coordinators are just are oh, just outstanding just and it, it's uh, well shot with the the fight scenes as well because often they end up getting too close with this they pull back and let you see the whole thing and for people out there going well yeah dread ripped it off <laughs> the script of, the script of dread was around a long time before this and I, I remember reading while we were making the raid yeah gareth evans somebody came up to him and said have you seen this script and it was a script for Dread, and he went, oh, crikey, we better get ours out first. Right, right. And they did. And they did. But it's, yeah, that's my number three. It's great, great movie. I love it. It's a lot of, I mean, the, the action sequence is really like, it's unlike any action movie that's been made in a very long time. I yeah, mean, yeah. It's sort of going back to basics, but bringing it way up to the present. Yeah, day. and it's just nonstop action. I mean, it, it is yeah. nonstop. It's relentless, and it's amazing. Okay, Dan, so what's your number three? All right, my number three is a British movie, actually, uh, directed by okay. Joe Cornish, and it is Attack the Block. Very good. Great sci-fi thriller starring one John Boyega, who would go on to play a character named Finn in a little movie called Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yeah, uh, who would have thought that back it, in 2000? I know, right? Well, he, but, but, you know... Yeah, he's, he's, he's brilliant in it, to be honest. When they announced his casting, though, I said, yes, perfect. Perfect, because he is great in Attack the Block. And it's basically, so it's a story of this group of like teenage street thugs who uh, find that they're, you know, in, I guess, in, correct me if I'm wrong, in, in the British terminology, the a block is like a tower apartment, right? Yeah, yeah. In America, a block is like like a street, like a couple of streets in a neighborhood, you know. Yeah, block, we have like, a, yeah, it's like a big 
apartment block. Right. So it's these these cool looking uh, aliens basically attack England, and and this group, this like thug group of teenagers has to sort of defend their their tower block, and um, it's really great like eighties throwback kind of action sci-fi horror film, a lot of comedy in it. Um, but Boyega does a great job because he's like the leader, and he's not a nice guy in the beginning of the film. No, you know, you know yeah, that's a good point. He, do, he does do the whole character arc very yeah, well. Yeah, he really does. His redemptive arc is fantastic and he really makes you invest in the character and by the end you're rooting for him and you believe it when he turns into this sort of heroic character. And so I knew he was going to be great in, in The Force Awakens as soon as they as soon as they announced him, but um, I really love Attack the Block. It's it's such a fun, fun movie. Uh, it wasn't very well, uh, very widely seen here in America. So if you haven't seen it yet, I highly recommend tracking it down. It is more fun than you'll have at the at the movies in a very long time. Yeah, it's a. I, I enjoyed it. I came came out to seeing it. It didn't quite grab me as much as I was hoping. I'm not sure why because. It's got everything I like in it, right. but it's uh, thoroughly enjoyable, but didn't quite make my list. Fair enough. But the uh, the, the the designs for the aliens as well was oh, yeah, uh, stunning. Great. Really good. I was lucky enough also to see it at a screening with Joe Cornish and Luke Treadaway, one of the film stars. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, yeah. Maybe that helped a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> All righty. What's your next pick? Okay, our top two. I don't think this will be in yours, but mine is uh, Drive. Yeah, another one we covered in our in a, a yeah. previous episode. That was uh, not too long ago. It was episode 18 out of the 25 we've done. Did we? Has it been, has it been 25? I lost count. 25, wow. yeah, yeah. Amazing. But yeah, it's the one, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, an adaption of the novel by James Salas, stars Ryan Gosling, Carrie Mulligan, Brian Cranston again, Christine Hendricks, Ron Perlman, Oscar Isaac, and Albert Brooks. And I really like it. I know people, some people don't. Uh, Nicholas Winding Refn can often be style over substance. And to some extent, that's true with this one. But I really like what they did with it, even though the driver didn't say much. Right. Which if you listen to ours <laughs> at the ending, yeah. we do mention that a little uh, bit. You'll, yeah, that's I was going to say. You'll know. You can hear my opinions on Drive in the episode. Yeah. It's not a film I dislike, but I do have some problems with it. Well, yeah, you do go... You do go into why you don't yeah. like it. Yeah, I sort of, my, I sort of tailor my whole ending around that, actually. Yeah, so. yeah. But I, I really liked that. I thought Ryan Gosling did a great job not talking. Y- yeah, yeah. Listen, as far as not talking goes, he's he's one of the best. <laughs> Some cracking scenes. Yeah. And it was very stylishly shot. All right. Well, my number two. Ironically, you and I were just talking about this film before we started recording. And I didn't even remember that it was on my list until I looked at it okay. just now. But it is Fast Five. Fast Five, Yes, okay. which is, of course, from the Fast and the Furious franchise. I'm a big fan of those films. I Every time a new one comes out, I run to the theater with a big stupid grin on my face. And I love them. They get bigger and dumber every time. And I think they're fantastic. But Fast Five... I actually respect very much. It is sort of the turning point between the films being like race car driven pseudo action films and gigantic budgeted mega blockbuster action films. And the sixth and seventh ones, I love. They go over the top in a big way. The fifth (laughs) one stops just shy of going over the top. It's it's over the top, but it's not crazy over the top. And and for my money, Fast Five is one of the best action films of the past 10 years, regardless of whether you like the franchise or not. On a standalone level, at its core, it is a brilliant action film with some amazing stunts, amazing car chases, just really really great action sequences from start to finish and the addition of the rock to the franchise you know the, the whole fight scene between him and Vin Diesel uh, there's so many great moments in that movie that as a, for an action junkie like me uh, I, I just don't think it gets much better than that from anything that's been made in the last decade. Very good. Well, it's uh, I'm not a huge fan of the, the series of films, but whenever they are on, I 
I watch them and I always enjoy them. Yeah. They're dumb, stupid movies, right. but with I just sometimes you just want to watch a dumb, stupid movie. Yeah, yep, it's true. And it's uh, they do they've got the money behind them to do these incredible and some would say silly stunts, especially with the most recent ones. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, don't keep us in suspense, Phil. What is your number one film of 2011? Okay, my number one film is a Norwegian Danish action thriller based on the novel of the same name by Joe Nesbo, and it is Headhunters. Oh, good film. Directed by Morten Tildum and stars, and apologies once again for any pronunciation mistakes, stars Axel Henny, Nikolaj Kostavaldu, and Sinov Makadilund. I didn't really know much about it apart from the guy from Game of Thrones in, and I went and watched it, and I was just blown away by it. A great thriller following this uh, character who's a headhunter taking people from one company, put them in the other. Not a literal headhunter, but he, he's also got a sideline of stealing paintings, and he gets involved in something which is way bigger than... Well, not way bigger than... He just gets involved in something which is a, and gets out of his depth and panics. And quite funny things happen and quite violent things happen. And it just... There's a scene involving an outhouse and a toilet. Right. Which makes you cringe. Yep. But it's there's so many good, good scenes in it, and you're never quite sure where it's going to go, what's going to happen. And he gets involved in these little things of his own design where he gets trapped and can't get out, but has to muddle his way through, and he manages it. Beautifully shot, some amazing scenes, some amazing shots. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Very good pick. I do like that movie. It didn't didn't make yeah. my list, but I, I did enjoy it very much. So Yeah. Okay, what about your number one for 2009? All right, well, I did not pick the same film, but but I do believe we have a first this time around. Okay. And that is that both of our number one picks are foreign films. Oh, yeah. My okay. number one pick is The Intouchables. Not to be confused with The Untouchables, Brian De Palma's yeah. excellent, excellent film about The Untouchables with Elliot Ness. This is The Intouchables. It is a French film. It stars uh, Francois Clouzet and Omar Sy, yeah. and it is about a paraplegic man who is tired of all of – he's rich, and he is tired of all the people that have been hired to uh, help be caretakers for him, and he fires them all because he's kind of – angry and not abusive per se, but he's not the nicest. And this sort of street smart kind of potential con artist or a, yeah. a street smart guy comes in and applies for the job almost by accident. And of course, the rest of the staff wants nothing to do with him, but uh, Francois Clouzet hires him. And then the two of them forge a relationship that is uh, quite uh, just funny and charming and beautiful and um, not like a romantic relationship, just as like a, you know, as a friendship. Yeah. And um, it's one of those movies that, you know, I've really enjoyed a lot of French cinema over the past few years. They've actually been, I think, the top of the game for like suspense thrillers and action films. Um, but this is a movie I'd heard some good things about. And I really like Francois Clouzet as an actor. He's, he's fantastic. Um, and uh, I watched this movie and it is – Amazing! It is an amazing, yeah, amazing I film. Totally agree. It's a brilliant movie. Thank you. I um, it's it's so funny. I mean, there's so much humor in it. You you will not believe how much humor there is in it. But then also, it'll have you like crying, like sobbing, like a baby at, at times. You know, the performances are amazing. Uh, Omar Sy has actually broken into some American filmmaking. Um, he was in one of the recent blockbusters. I forget what as a like I think an Alien or something like that. But um, it's it's just this really touching, humorous, warm. It's the kind of film you watch and you feel good about life when you're done watching it. And I don't know what yeah, higher recommendation yeah. you can have for a film than that personally. You know, to me, totally agree. that's one of the best effects a movie can have. And I know a lot of people out there are not going to watch it because it's in French and you have to watch, put subtitles on. But I'm telling you, if you watch this movie, you will thank me because it's magical. So that's my number one pick. Very good. And it's uh, 
funnily enough, for those of you who don't like foreign language, it is being remade. Oh. And it's being called The Untouchables. Uh, well. Which is, and it's being, but it's being directed uh-huh. by Neil Berger. Oh, really? Yeah, who you mentioned before. Yeah, I love Neil Berger. That's interesting. All right. Well, maybe I'm not as uh, as uh, dreading as I will. I don't know that it'll compare to the original, but. Well, the, st- the people you've got stone in it, it's got Brian Cranston. Okay. All right. I can see that. And then, uh, I'm not sure about this, Kevin Hart. Okay. So they're clearly going to go for a more broad comedy then, I'm thinking. Yeah. I would like to have seen them go for, like they did with the original, go for like an actor-actor as opposed right. to a. I, a see that that to me actor. just says they're going to try and they're going to frame it as a comedy and maybe I'm wrong I don't want to judge the film mm-hmm. before I've seen it I do like Kevin Hart um, I, I just the you know what's what's great about the original is it, it's so funny but not in like a crass kind of Hollywood way it's funny yeah, because the, yeah. the humor comes from these warm moments these touching moments these real moments you know it's it's such it's it's hard to describe the tone of the film yeah. just right but it is well, it well, is amazing well, every, com- every comedian who's gone from being a stand-up to an actor they usually have these broad comedies first of all and then they start branching out a bit don't they? And, they, and you know maybe this is going to be like his like his his poet society that, yeah. or something you know like maybe yeah. this is gonna be one of those films where he bridges the gap between comedy and yeah, drama be, has, yeah exactly you know? yeah. so I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed you know yeah but yeah i'm not gonna write it off track neil berg is directly right exactly exactly all right well there you yeah, go okay. so those are our top 10 films of 2011 some great picks i think it was a good year for movies overall it was yeah. fun to revisit it yes certainly was and uh all right well before we sign off then it's time for some blatant product placement uh which is our feature of course where if you wish you can send in a uh, a message of sorts if you'd like to share with our audience it can be a personal message if you want to send a, like a birthday greeting or a, something like that to a friend or a loved one it can also be a corporate message if you have a product you want to pimp out or you promote you know uh we we will do basically anything yeah you desire anything you want to hear coming out of the speakers that you're currently listening to uh on this show you know you can you can have that's it. right you can send us your words yeah, yeah exactly and it's, it's it's 50 dollars for a personal message 100 dollars for a professional message but everything will be professional in the terms of the fact that of course we will deliver it professionally which reminds me phil you know I, i've been wondering the other day i watched a movie it was so bad that i i instantly wished i could go back in time and and not watch that movie i do hate it when that happens seriously i wish there was just a way to you know erase those experiences i I could save hundreds of bad movie watching hours every year if I could just go back in time. Well, my good sir, I have just a very thing for you. It's the brand new DeLorean time machine. Ooh, do tell. Housed in the DeLorean DMC-12, made of sleek stainless steel and boasting up-to-date time circuits and a state-of-the-art flux capacitor, this baby only requires 1.21 gigawatts of power to make your time-traveling dreams come true. When you hit 88 miles per hour, you can go anywhere and anywhere you want to. The DeLorean DMC time machine. All your time travel needs. Well, that sounds amazing. I'll take one. How much is it? Well, it can be yours for low, low price of $88 million, and for an extra $5 million, you can get Mr. Fusion add-on. Well, that sounds like a bargain. Do you, uh, do you take Diner's Club? Damn straight we do. <laughs> Excellent. All right, so there you go. That's our. Uh, that's a little example of our, uh, our 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 blatant product placement skills at work. There, we are clearly very fine pitch uh, pitch men. But uh, we thought we'd have a little fun and share some kind of some some movie ads as we uh, as we do this as well. So some some yes. ads for products you might be familiar with, I should say. Yes, I'm sure there'll be more down the line. So if you would like to take advantage of our blatant product placement and, and have your message out sent out to the airwaves to our thousands of subscribers, you can email us at afterthending at verizon.net, which is, of course, where you can also reach us for any fan correspondence or any messages or anything you want to tell us at all. Yes, oh, and also as of this week, we've also you can also find us on tunein.com. 
Radio. Yeah, big uh, big uh, online radio broadcasting site. It's uh, We're very excited to be part of that family, so check us out there if you like. If you're a listener uh, through using that service, we are now there for your listening pleasure. And, uh, of course, if you'd like to reach out to us on social media, Phil? Yes, you can find us. Search after the ending on Twitter, Facebook, on the usual places, and you'll find us. That's right. We are always happy to hear from you. We love to interact with our listeners, so please do send us a message. All right, so, Phil, why don't you tell people what they can expect next week when they tune in for our 26th episode 26 yeah we're doing a special 26 episode 20 yeah, 26. 26 i did i just now realized that it's been 25 episodes i hadn't even caught that until now yeah 26 yes yeah. can you uh, by the way for anybody who's listening who's who's been with us since the very beginning big thank you and to all the new listeners thank you tell all your friends and family because they're bound to love it. Yeah, we think so. And, and you know, I think you can do spread the word is always a help. That includes leaving reviews on iTunes or any of the other podcast sites. All of those things are things that will help us grow and expand and, and bring you more after the ending. So, all right. So, Phil, next week, what's on tap? Okay, yeah. Next week, we will be going after the ending of iRobot and The Commitments. Yay. And our top 10 films will be the top 10 of 1928. Yes, yeah, should be a nice varied uh, year. We got some sci-fi. We got some Ireland music. We got some classic old films. And, of course, a, a mighty morphing mini feature that is yet to be determined. Yeah, TBD. TBD. There you go. All right. Well, good. We'll hope you will join us for that. As always, like Phil just said, we thank you very much for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. Hang on one second. got to let my dog in because she's scratching at the door. <laughs> Come on in. Come on. Yeah, I know. There's nowhere for you to sit. That's the problem. And you go right back out again. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Phil, why don't you tell people why it's so impossible? The group spreads out and begins helping other life forms. Working from behind... Wait, I can't speak. I can't talk anymore. <laughs> I'm the same. <laughs> Justin resigns due to the... No, Justine invited... No, I can't. Water. <laughs> so why the reason we can't do after the endings for these movies is because we can't speak. <laughs> well, Melancholy was a big serial killer. Killed everybody. Yeah, I wonder what it would look like actually in The Matrix, though. What? It was a big planet which destroyed everything. Oh. Yeah, it was this, that's, sorry, yeah, it was a big planet. That's what it looked like in the Matrix. I was trying to think of something else. <laughs> I got you. What it would look like in the world of the machines. Right, right, right. Because they always seem to have like a, oh, anyway, I was waffled and cut all okay. that. <laughs> I, I think I will. <laughs> well, I'll kick things off then with my unconventional first pick, and it is a book that I bet many people have not heard of. It is called The Awakening, and it was, I guess it would have helped if I wrote, figured out who the author was ahead of time. <laughs> And it is called Pride of Baghdad by Brian K. Vaughan. Oh, lovely pick. And I guess there's an artist, too. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> okay, my number nine. Nice. <laughs> Adapted from the novel of the same name by Michael Connolly. And we've got Matthew McConaughey. Matthew, Michael Connolly starring Matthew. I'll say it all again. Yeah, Michael that... Connolly McConaughey. I got confused over the Connolly and McConaughey. Yeah, I, I can see why. For our mighty morphing mini feature, Phil, tell people. Oh, do we, we should probably hang. Uh, we should probably do a, come up with a name for it. Yeah. Other yeah. than just books we want to see made into movies, because that's a little unwieldy and uninteresting. Paper to uh, film. What's that? Paper to film. Paper to film. I like that. What else? Something a little more. Uh, words. Words that should be wizarded. No, wizarded. <laughs> kind of words, wizarded. Words woven into celluloid. <laughs> I like how you went for the alliteration, but then you gave up on yeah. it. Words woven into wonder. <laughs> now you're getting into corporate casting yeah, cacophony no. of crazy classic whateverness. Wonderful territory. words worked into no words worked into wonderful works of 
Welluloid. 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 <laughs> Marriage. Winnemarriage. <laughs> uh, books. Books that need to become films. <laughs> this is why we need a writer's room. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it should be helpful if we live yeah. in the same continent. Guys, guys, we need a title quick. Come on, there's 12 of you there. Come on. Um, all right, so... Uh, books. Yeah, books on tape. Books on films. Books, books uh, become legends. No, books... How about words into pictures? Yeah, words into pictures. All right. <laughs> Simply enough. I'm just going to leave this whole thing in so people can see the process yeah. that we go through for our mini Here's pictures. how the magic happens. We make them sound so easy, but this yeah. is, it's painful what happens yeah. behind the scenes.